Welcome again to the Strange Brew podcast. And my name is Jason Barnard. That was Laundromat by Rory Gallagher. And I've got his longtime bassist here, Jerry McAvoy, who played with Rory for about 20 years on uh, all his uh, key albums. He's got a fabulous show coming up with Band of Friends, which celebrates Rory's 74th birthday 
on the 2nd of March in London at the Powerhouse. And uh, he's also got four UK dates in total and with more shows in France and Germany. A huge welcome, Jerry. Thank you very much, Jason. Good to see you. Maybe it's good just to ask you about the uh, Band of Friends. That's a project that's been going a while, but uh, has been a real driver behind keeping Rory's music alive and well. Yeah, I mean, it, it all sort of kicked off. It started off around 2009, 2010. I, I actually moved to France from the UK in 2007. And it was the first time I managed to get my old uh, stereo out, my old record player, whatever you want to call it these days, and my albums. And I started listening through all my albums, you know, because I'm, I'm starting to realise, I mean, the way vinyl sounds as opposed to CDs, and I'm not putting the CDs down or anything else, you know. But all of a sudden, I, 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 I could hear all this bottom end, this distortion that was missing on CDs. But anyway, obviously, a lot of those albums were the albums I recorded with Rory, you know, throughout the years. And I started to listen to them because I hadn't listened to them for a while because I was with different situations. But Nine Below Zero, I was playing with that band for a while. And and when you're doing that, you, you tend to forget what, what what you had in the past. And all of it, I started realizing these songs are great. Yeah, a lot of these songs are fantastic. And I just had this idea that, to bring it out on the road. I mean, you know, I know there's a lot of uh, tribute bands out there that, that play Rory stuff pretty well, you know, and, and some of them are great. But but I just wanted, I had this idea of getting the guys that played with with Rory. I mean, Ted McKenna, who played with Rory from 70, 78 to 81, he was lecturing at uh, Glasgow University. So he wasn't actually doing a lot music-wise, you know. Well, he was sort of. And I got in touch with Ted and said, do you fancy having a crack at this, you know? And Ted went, yeah, well, who's going to play guitar? And I had played with this young guy from Amsterdam a couple of years earlier at a Rory tribute thing, you know, Marcel Scherbenzel. I said, we've got this guy, Marcel. So there we go. We, we, we took it on board and we rehearsed it and we took it on the road. Fantastic. And it, it's just blossomed from there. And, and so... Um... Your band in the late 60s was they toured with uh, Taste, yeah. We, we did some shows with uh, with Taste in, in, in Ireland actually. Uh, we, we did some shows uh, in Belfast and sort of and, and we played the Ulster Hall, Deep Joy Support Taste, and the, Ulster, the famous Ulster Hall in Belfast and, and quite a few other places. I got acquainted with Rory, sort of backstage, how you doing, Rory, how you doing, so but not nothing more than that, you know, and then. Deep Joy and um, Taste split up the same year, funny enough, in Belfast. Rory got in touch with me. I think Taste split up in October or something like that, uh, 1970, in uh, Queen's University in Belfast. My band, Deep Joy, we kept on going in London, and uh, we ended up looking back to uh, Belfast and did our last show in uh, the Ulster Hall, funny enough, in 1970, New Year's Eve. So there was an acquaintance there, you know, between ourselves, myself and, and, and Rory in those days anyway. So Rory knew you and it was just a, he needed to put a band together for his solo work then? Yeah, I mean, towards the end of uh, 1970, after the guys had split up, after Taste had split up, uh, we were still playing the clubs in London, uh, you know, the speakeasy, so on and so on. And Rory and his brother Donald come down to, uh, to see the band Deep Joy. On a couple of occasions, one one night in Blazes, I remember Blazes Club, and another night in another club, and I thought they were just coming down to like you know support a couple of Irish guys playing in a band in London, you know, but I didn't. I realised eventually that uh, Rory was checking myself and Wilco Campbell out, the drummer with Deep Show at the time, you know, for, for maybe for for a rhythm section for for his own solo career, yeah. In terms of recording Rory's debut, I've heard that that was quite a quick process. It, it was fairly quick, yeah. I mean, I mean, as I say, I, I was back in Belfast, and it was towards the end of January. I got a phone call, and I I, I thought it was Wilger, Wilger Campbell, our, our drummer, the drummer from Deep Joy. Well, Deep Joy split up, but Wilger stayed in London, and it was Rory ringing me up. He said, "He said, you fancy coming across uh, to London and having a bit of a jam session, you know." I'm going, wow, yeah, okay, great. So I went over to London, we had a jam session. Wilga was there, myself and Rory. And um, we played for, you know, three or four hours one afternoon in a little, little uh, studio in Fulham. 
And I went back to Belfast and then I didn't hear anything for about two weeks, two and a half weeks, whatever. And I thought, well, that's it. And then I got another call from Rory. He said, you fancy coming over to London to make an album? I said, well, great. So, uh, yeah, I came over and got together in AdVision Studios in London, which was, to me, it was like, wow, AdVision Studios. I mean, yes, I recorded there, you know, like, you know. And, and the engineer was Eddie Offord, who worked with Yes and, and these bands, you know, like, oh, bloody hell, this is great, you know, it's fantastic, you know. And the process was, we rehearsed for about, you know, a week, about five days, six days, took a day off, and then we went into AdVision Studios. And I remember it was a Monday morning, and I remember it was a beautiful, crisp sort of a, a spring spring morning. And it was like from from nine o'clock to, to six o'clock in the evening it was like you know, like a working a working day sort of thing. The process was like it was very quick. I mean, the the, the backing tracks was on extremely quick and like a week, eight days or something. Cinnaboy is is just one of the many examples of Rory's sublime guitar playing. How was it actually playing with him as opposed to just watching him? As I said before, you know, when I was a kid in Belfast. I was a fan of Taste, yeah. you know, Taste Mark One and Taste Mark Two. you know, so I used to go and see them in the clubs. So uh, to have the opportunity to play with Rory was, was, first of all, fantastic, you know. And uh, as I said, from that first day of rehearsals in film, whatever, West London, it, it, there, there was a little, little magic there, a little, something gel between myself, Wilger, and obviously Rory. And to play with Rory, at the beginning, you know, I, I, I was treading on water. I was, I was learning my way. And uh, Rory was my tutor, so to speak, you know, and because, and, um, you know, I was still a novice, you know, I, I was 19 when I joined Rory. I was a kid. But uh, over the years, I mean, I mean, playing with Rory, I, I, I could tell what Rory was going to play. I, I just had this thing and Rory could do the same with me. I mean, I had this sort of telepathy on stage that it was it was magic. It was magic. And, and to play with Rory, I mean, you, you're playing with one of the uh, one of the greatest guitar players in the world, you know.
it seems such a prolific period in that time and it it mustn't have been long the time that you were recording Rory's debut album to to actually recording the next I know I mean, it all happened in the same year I mean the first album the Rory Gallagher album and then followed up quickly by Juice you know later that year and then followed up by Love in Europe and those days you made two or three albums a year that's what the record companies wanted and and that's that's what they were delivered I'm not aware yet it's just a, another side to Rory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, from the first album, uh, there was a, there was all Rory's in the folk influence, jazz influence, even a little bit of pop in there in the first album. On the second album, Juice, I think he he flourished. I remember recording the album, you know, in, in Tangerine Studios in London, and Rory would, would would come in with the songs. I mean, we'd rehearsed a couple of songs before that, but he would kept coming in with new songs into the studio, unrehearsed with the band, just to get that sort of, uh, that live, that vibrant thing, you know. And and some nights uh, during the Juice sessions, uh, we, we would, would be playing somewhere like close to London, maybe, you know, somewhere in Norfolk, Luton or, or whatever. And we go back to the studio after the, uh, after the gig because the adrenaline is still rushing. Uh, and, and Rory's idea was to get us into the studio, set the gear up quick, you know, you turn up at one o'clock in the morning, one thirty in the morning, and start playing. And that album was like, uh, yeah, it was pretty close to my heart. That for for those reasons, you know, because it was so on the edge and, and and so fresh. A time of success. Rory was voted, um, you know, the best guitarist in Melody Maker, beating Clapton that year. The band was yeah. on the up and gelling. It must have been a great feeling. It was. It was fantastic. I mean. I mean those early years, obviously there was a little bit of a ripples in the water because Wilger, he left the band because he, he just couldn't fly. You know, he ended up having a nervous breakdown. So at the last minute, we had to bring another drummer in, Rod Diath, who luckily enough, I was actually living in, in, in his house, <laughs> in a room in his house, just perchance, you know. And Rod came, came on board and then Lou Martin eventually came on board on, on keyboards. That band, you know, sort of from Blueprint onwards, that was the band that, that sort of, uh, you know, sold the world. You know, we toured like nonstop with, with that band, you know, very successful. But also on the back of uh, like Live in Europe, which was a, a very, very, very successful album.
You've mentioned Life in Europe, which came soon after, and we've now got Messing with the Kid, which is just a great version of a, a blue standard there. The Rory Gallagher group were known as just being a must-see live act, and you were so prolific in terms of the volume of gigs at that time. Yeah. Do you think that Band's career and Rory's career was really helped by that touring process? Oh, Absolutely. Rory's worth ethic was 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 like you know very constant you know it, it was like non-stop 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 which was you know it, it served all of us at, at the same time you know the, the purpose was was great you know it, it um and we worked a lot through those first bunch of years you know from sort of 72 right up to 76 it was like constant you know I mean so many American tours bringing albums out you know like twice a year eventually it became once a year from 75 onwards you know um, and that's that's that was the trend at, at the time, you know. But I mean, I, I mean that that constant working, you couldn't help but be good, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, because it, you're you're like every night you're like you're pumping it every night, you know, and and it was good. You're, you're doing sellout shows, so your confidence is up. You know, the records are doing well. You know, so you know it was it was great. Yeah, it was good. And you were on the same bill, and in fact, ahead of some great names like uh, Rush, you know, on the same bill as Frank Zappa, the, the Faces as well. That's right, yeah. The Frank Zappa thing, we um, that was the first tour, actually, in 71 of America, and uh, we had some strange uh, strange gigs. Uh, we started off in the Whiskey Go-Go in, in, in Los Angeles. Uh, we did five nights there. And then we went up to New York and, and we actually played with Buddy Miles Express in, in New York City Hall. And, and we did a show with Frank Zappa in Milwaukee uh, and just to watch Frank Zappa and to support. You know, we were the warm-up band for Frank Zappa, basically. And, and to see him live was, was amazing. And Rush also, I mean, uh, Rush, uh, the first tour they ever did of, of America, of the USA, they supported Rory. They still speak about it with, uh, with, with great reverence because uh, they were treated very, very well. Rory Gallagher.
By the time of Tattoo, we have a tattooed lady here. 
seems a quite a landmark album for the group. But do, do you think that that was one of the peaks for the band? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, because I think Rory was branching off into uh, you know, writing a song like "Tattooed Lady," which is basically a commercial song. Could have been in the charts if Rory had made singles, but Rory would, would not make singles. And I think I think he, he was uh, he still had that blues based uh, ideology. Yeah. But he was writing songs that they were, they were sort of going, going a bit, you know, further south than, than, than uh, the basic original taste stuff, which is very, very blues-based, rock blues-based. Um, so I, I think he was he was feeling his way. You know, he, he, he was trying to write in, in different ways. I mean, I mean, songs like Tattooed Lady, A Million Miles Away, I mean, you know, the classics. How would the song compare when Rory brought them in to the final version? Did they develop much? Um, not really. When Rory brought the song in, in the rehearsal room, he, he, Rory would, would never come in with charts or, or with, a, you know, this song is in this key, uh, this is in, there's a middle eight here. Rory would just start playing it. And because I was a guitar player originally, I could read the chords and I, I could see what he was playing, so I would just follow him and the drummer would just jump in. So the, the songs actually, actually developed that way. Right. It, it, nobody sat down at a table with, with pen and paper and said, well, this is verse one, verse two, chorus, middle eight, so on and so on. It just developed Planet, planet, planet Life.
Famously now, Calling Card was produced by Roger Glover of uh, Deep Purple. Deep Purple, yeah. I don't think uh, you guys had a, an outside producer by then. Was that the case? That was the first one, yeah, for Calling Card, yeah. Well, not, well with Taste, he used a producer. He used um, Tony, oh, I forget his name, guy, guy from Heads, Hands and Feet. He produced uh, both uh, Taste albums. But uh, Roger came in with Calling Card. That was, that was, that was the, first, the first one. And what was that like? Because you've potentially got different views, strong views in the studio. Yes, I think it was difficult for Rory to to be tied down to a producer. So, so there's a little bit of friction there, you know, uh, for want of a better word. I, I think I, I think it could have gone a different way um, because we would go into the studio and we'd have a beer. We'd enjoy a beer, like not a lot, but just a beer before you you know warm up before you saw and Roger was opposed to that sort of thing you know uh, and and he wanted like a different sort of a uh, sort of different mentality in the studio but uh, you know whatever happened even even with a little bit of friction there it sort of worked I think at the end of the it, it, it wasn't mixed by Roger uh, I think Rory got uh, somebody else the Glimmer Twins in, in to mix it so uh, that's the way that's the way the story goes <laughs> A secret agent from that album. I mean, you were you were mentioning at the start when you were getting the vinyl out and you were kind of hearing the lower end and this kind of a heavier edge to it and to slide on on that track. Yeah, it's it's one of the great tracks from that period. It is. I, I mean, a lot of it was a sort of Roger's direction. You know, deep purple. You know, so so there, there wasn't much room for movement, but then it, it was very, uh, it was quite constricted that song, but in 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 a nice way, you know, to make it commercially viable, you know. So it, it was very strict with with the riff and, and with the way the band played it, you know. And of course, Rory, then you know, over the top, did his thing, you know, like you know with the slide and with, with the singing and, and whatever, you know. But um, that was sort of a, Roger's sort of a direction. Where if, if it had been uh, maybe with Rory, with us, uh, if Rory had been directed, it might have been a bit looser. Whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. But I mean, it, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the track sounds great, you know. I mean, no matter what happened there, you know, that was Roger sort of directing that, that track, you know, very much so. Because it's like a deep purple sort of vibe, you know, with that riff, you know, type thing, even though Rory wrote it. <laughs>
so by the time of the photo finish elm you were down to a free piece um was it was that rory's active decision to slim things down yeah i think um through the course of the years um we, we recorded this album in, in san francisco with the four piece with uh, rod and lou i think it was mixed feelings from rory uh, about the way the band was going you know with, with the four piece and and Apparently, well, I know he did. He went to see uh, while he was there in San Francisco because we had done the backing tracks and, and we headed back to uh, to England or whatever. And Rory had stayed there to do some mixing and do some overdubs. And he had a night off, and, and himself and uh, Elliot Mazer, who was the uh, the engineer of the studio, went to see Six Pistols in Winterland, the, the last probably the last gig apparently. And Rory was just knocked out by the the whole energy of the thing, you know, and and. and uh, Basically, it's a three-piece with Johnny Rotten singing. And I brought him back to his early days with taste and and, and that sort of energy thing, that, that, that you know, the keyboards not cluttering up. I don't mean that disrespectfully as well, the keyboards. But in some ways, I mean, Rory had this three-piece thing, you know. Mm. And I think after he saw uh, Sex Pistols, he, he decided to go back to a three-piece. So he let uh, Rodden Lou go. And Shadow Play from that album is a great example of a, a sound that at times... You can start to see a bit of that punk edge there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, shadow play. You listen to shadow play. I mean, it, it, it's like a punk. It's a punk rock song, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know. And plus, uh, Ted McKenna, yeah, came in and and, and, and those recordings, you know. And, and Ted's like, uh, Ted, Ted was a big drummer. You know, <laughs> Ted, Ted made a big sound. So that sort of changed things as well, as far as the songs are concerned, you know, like like songs like shadow play. Mississippi Shakes, you know, I mean, you get the big man behind you playing drums and you can't help it. And Rory had this great thing about being able to write songs with the musicians in mind, you know, his backing musicians in mind, because he knew that Ted was a different sort of drummer from from Rod, say, and, and Rod was a different drummer from Wilger and so on and so on. And he, he could construct these songs around the guys who were playing with them very cleverly.
by the 1980s, the number of albums reduced. Was that more of a, a commercial reason or, or was it that you were focusing on touring? Or Yeah, I mean, I, I think Rory became a bit disillusioned with the record companies, uh, you know, because uh, to go from Polydor to Chrysalis and then went from Chrysalis to uh, different labels, you know, and I think he was searching for something. I think he was searching for a label who would uh, actually back him up. So, um, yeah, things got less and less, yeah, during the 80s, yeah. The band changed as well, you know, because Ted, Ted left and he wanted Brendan Lee come in on drums, you know, and uh, yeah, so things sort of changed, you know. Yeah. So by the, the late 80s or 1990 for, for fresh evidence, there's still some great material on there like Heaven's Gate and particularly Rory's solo guitar on that is just incredible and showed the flash of genius. I mean, that particular solo in Heaven's Gate, I mean, stands out to me. I mean, that's that's um, that's a guitar solo that that's he's reaching from from the heart. He's putting his heart out on 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 that on that particular song. And uh, when you think of the think of the lyrics of Heaven's Gate, you know, it's 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 a bit uh, it's a bit spooky. Yeah. But his that particular guitar solo was like frightening to me. I mean. I was in the studio that night when he when he played it, and I'm going, my God, this is this is something else, you know, this is a different different planet altogether, you know. But but it was playing from the soul, you know. So was it about '91 and the the US tour? Was that the last shows that you did with Rory? Yeah, the last show was in, in New York City, uh, the Marquee Club, which was a fantastic show. I mean, the tour was great, you know. But I decided previous to that, I mean, a couple of months previous to that, to to go in a different direction. That was the last tour we did, uh, I think, in Japan. I think it was Japan and, and, and America, yeah, and the States, yeah. And uh, the last show was in New York, yeah. It's been over 25 years since we lost Rory, but his music and the people that, that follow his music has only grown. It has, yeah. He was a pioneer. You know, you go back to the late 60s, early 70s. I mean, Rory was a pioneer as far as music's concerned. You know, he, he was. He went his own direction and, and he couldn't stop him. And, and and that's why he ended up with you know with problems with the record companies and 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 the media and so on you know because I mean his direction was you know he was a fan of Muddy Waters he was a fan of Bob Dylan he was a fan of these these guys who who would just you know take their own direction and and take it to wherever they wanted to go you know not being led by side effects or you know and so the the forthcoming band of friends shows. As you say, said at the start, there's a lot of bands that play Rory's music, but you could say that that your sound is potentially a little bit more authentic, given that you played with Rory. Yeah, with the band of friends, I mean, first of all, myself and Ted, you know, we played with Rory, you know, and now myself and Brenton with the rhythm section for Rory from '81 to '91, you know. So it, it, it's a different take on it, you know. I mean, it's it's like I don't like to do do the songs Rory. So nobody can play like Rory. To try and, and emulate Rory note for note, it don't work. You know, so so the guys in the, in the band, I mean, we try and sort of develop the songs. We play the songs, you know, as best we can. I mean, but also, you know, take your own chances, take, take your own solos. I mean, you take your own direction as well, you know, because Rory would do the same. Every, every night with Rory, he played a different solo. He never played the same solo night after night, you know, so it, it, that's, that's part and parcel of... of uh, you know, living Rory's life, you know, sort of thing, you know, I mean, to try and tell the guys, well, don't, don't try and emulate that. Do a couple of little flicks here and there, you know, but do your own thing. And so after the, the UK dates, which are, are imminent, including Powerhouse in, in London on 2nd of March, a few other dates, you're continuing to play on the continent? and Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after the the English shows, we, we a couple of shows in, in France and then, we're out in Germany through throughout April, and then there's a couple of things happening in May. So yeah, yeah, we're just gonna get out and do it. You got any other sort of projects on the? Yeah, at, no. At the same time, we're actually recording at the moment an album, a band of friends album, right? Uh, to be released sort of at the end of September, beginning of October. So uh, we're working on that at the same time, which is great because a lot of downtime at the moment. <laughs> For uh, before next week, so uh, we've been working on that. That's great to hear. So, um, there's keeping Rory's legacy alive, but actually, we also get the chance to to hear some new music. So, the best of both worlds, yeah. I mean, that's a you're a musician, so so you do sort of blossom out and, and 
and you know you write your own things and you, you know you can develop your own things you know over the years i've been doing it anyway you know and it's nice to have a you know a couple of songs of your own as well you know it's been brilliant to talk to you and i wish you all the best with the forthcoming shows all the best with them jerry thank you very much jason it's been great talking to you
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you.